Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Tuesday. Thank you for joining me on today's show. We have put the work in. We have an awesome show planned for you today. So awesome that those of you watching over YouTube or on Blaze TV, I'm all dressed up. That's how good this show is going to be. I had to look my best. I had to put a sports jacket on and a shirt with a collar because I don't want to denigrate. I don't want to do anything to diminish. I don't want to do anything to lessen the impact and the excellence of the show that we have planned for you today. So your boy's all dressed up. Here's what I need you to do. I'm, and I'm not overhyping. Start pounding that like button because this show deserves it. If you're listening over Apple or Spotify or wherever you're listening, start giving me those five-star reviews. I need 100 five-star reviews on Apple today. I need 30 people to write a review of this show on Apple. I need you to get involved today. Hit the likes, hit the subscribe. Tell your friends about today's show. It's going to be that good. If you like sports, if you have faith in God, I'm going to break down something for you today that I think is profound, will be a conversation driver and starter for you, something this weekend when you're at parties and you're socializing with your friends, you can break down for them what's happening in American culture, what's happening in sports culture. You can connect all the dots, because I'm gonna connect them here for you today. Start pounding that like, subscribe, tell your friends to come watch this show. If you're, again, on Apple, wherever, five-star review and write a message. We gotta fight the algorithms that are working against the kind of truth that I'm going to expose today. Uh, Timothy Gordon is going to join me. Timothy's a popular uh, defender of Catholicism. He'll be here to join me. I'm kind of previewing the show. Dr. Taylor Marshall, another popular defender of Catholicism, will join us on today's show. Delano Squires, you guys know Professor D. He's going to be here, and then we'll end the show with Steve Kim talking about LeBron James and potential retirement. Buckle up, get ready. <clears throat> I got to deliver this fire starter at a high level. I'm going to do it. All right, let's go. Uh, the LGBTQIA plus slash alphabet mafia can fly the mission accomplished flag above the sports world. They want 
On Monday, the Los Angeles Dodgers officially surrendered on behalf of the wide world of sports. The Dodgers apologized to the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, a group of gay men who mock religious faith by dressing as Catholic nuns. J just think for a minute. The Dodgers apologized to a group of gay men who mock nuns, women who devote their lives to serving God and their fellow man. That's who the Dodgers apologized to. Last week, the baseball franchise bowed to the outrage of Catholics and disinvited the blasphemous group of drag queens to the organization's annual Pride Night. Monday, the Dodgers backtracked. They released a statement. After much thoughtful feedback from our diverse communities, honest conversations with the Los Angeles Dodgers organization, and generous discussions with the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, the Los Angeles Dodgers would like to offer our sincerest apologies to the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, members of the LGBTQ community, and their friends and family. We have asked the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence to take their place on the field at our 10th annual LGBTQ plus Pride Night on June 16th. We are pleased to share that they have agreed to receive the gratitude of our collective communities for the life-saving work they have done tirelessly for decades. <clears throat> That's the Dodgers. It's a wrap, mission accomplished. The sports world favors sexual and gender identity over religious faith. Worse, sports leagues have disavowed their founders. You realize who organized sports. It wasn't lesbians, gays, bisexuals, transgenders, and queers. It was the Young Men's Christian Association, the YMCA. Founded in the UK in the mid-1800s, the YMCA aspired to promote muscular Christianity across the globe. Muscular Christianity, according to Wikipedia, refers to belief in patriotic duty, discipline, self-sacrifice, masculinity, and the moral and physical beauty of athleticism. Major League Baseball, the National Football League, the National Basketball Association, and every other American sports league owe their founding to the YMCA. I bet most people, including athletes, do not know what the letters in the YMCA mean. The Alphabet Mafia co-opted the acronym in the late 1970s with the village people Gay Anthem YMCA. There's a pattern here. The secular co-opt the customs, symbols, and institutions Christians build. Ivy League schools started as Bible seminaries. The rainbow symbolizes God's promise to never again flood the earth. Organized sports were designed to promote muscular Christianity. The Catholic Church, through its Catholic youth organization, led the charge to integrate sports. Founded in Chicago in 1930, the CYO adopted a core principle not to discriminate on the basis of race, religion, or gender. Jackie Robinson, 
likely would not have donned a Dodgers uniform in 1947 had it not been for the work of the CYO. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence mock the religious faith of a group that has a near 100 year history of supporting and improving organized sports. St. Mary's Industrial School for Boys taught Babe Ruth how to play baseball. John the Evangelist Catholic School trained Cowboys legend Roger Staubach. Power Memorial Catholic Academy developed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. St. Vincent St. Mary High School cultivated LeBron James. Catholic high schools are often criticized for recruiting top athletes, particularly black ones. Most people are unaware that the CYO Little Leagues and high school powerhouses are part of a religious mission that started in the 1930s, long before sports were flooded with money and outsized prestige. The proponents of critical race theory love to complain about the history that isn't taught. They never complain about the positive history that is ignored. LeBron James has no idea his wealth is a direct byproduct of the Young Men's Christian Association and the Catholic Youth Organization. Professional athletes would rather ally with the Alphabet Mafia than Christians. Think about that. Professional athletes would rather ally with secular LGBTQ, the Alphabet Mafia, BLM, another wing of the Alphabet Mafia, they'd rather ally with them than Christians. People who see their primary identity as sexual have and had nothing to do with the rise of professional sports. It's the people whose primary identity is based in their relationship with Christ who built the sports world and almost everything else we enjoy in America. The Dodgers in the sports world have betrayed their founders. It's sickening. It's sickening that the broadcasters and pundits earning millions of dollars talking about sports will not discuss the betrayal. Stephen A. Smith, Dan Lebatar, Shannon Sharp, Pat McAfee, Dave Portnoy, Jalen Rose, Mina Kimes, and all the rest are grifters eating off a table set by Christians. They're too uninformed or too cowardly to defend the faith that made their wealth and popularity possible. The same cowardice and stupidity afflicts the athletes. They're too ungrateful. They're too high on weed or too filled with pride to recognize their treason. Their handlers tell them what to think, who to support, and what to ignore. Many of the athletes feign religious faith. How can they ignore Pride Night? There are few things made more clear in the Bible than the evil and destructiveness of pride. Proverbs 16 and 5. Everyone that is proud in the heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. Pride is the gateway drug to idolatry. The LGBTQ plus have placed their sexual and gender identity well above their identity in Christ. They're taking pride in being outside the body of Christ. That is their right as American citizens. They have every right to do that. As a Christian, 
I don't have to celebrate their foolish decision. I don't have to play along and pretend Pride Night is a good thing. It's a celebration of secular values. It's a celebration of being in disobedience to God. The Young Men's Christian Association laid the foundation for Major League Baseball and all sports leagues. Professional sports are the wrong platform to mock religious faith. That should be done on Bill Maher's HBO show or other comedy stages. It's blasphemous on a baseball diamond, a football field, and a basketball court. That is my fire starter. That will be the foundation of a discussion I will have with Tim Gordon, Dr. Taylor Marshall, Delano Squires, moving forward in the show, and then we'll end the show with Steve Kim. Uh, it's a perfect segue to talk about one of our great new partners on the show, Covenant Eyes. I wanna start with James 5 and 16. It says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So why have accountability? Accountability is not primarily others calling you out on your sin, but others calling you up to the person you are in Christ. A study on accountability found that you have a 65% chance of completing a goal if you commit to someone. If you meet with that person, you will increase success by up to 95%. With Covenant Eyes, you invite someone you know and trust to hold you accountable as your ally. The Covenant Eyes app tracks activity on all of your internet devices. The Victory app shares your activity feed right to your ally's phone. When you allow someone to see how you're using your devices, it changes how you use them. If you have a problem with porn, if you have a problem visiting sites that you know you shouldn't be on, Covenant Eyes, they will help you stop that activity. They will protect you while you're surfing the information superhighway. These powerful tools at Covenant Eyes bring honesty and transparency to your accountability relationships. Just $17 a month, $184 annual, annually, covers up to 10 users on unlimited devices. Use my promo code FEARLESS for a free 30-day trial. The superhighway for information, the internet, needs a seatbelt. I know I need a seatbelt. If you're like me, you need a seatbelt. It's no different than driving a car. Covenant Eyes protects you, your family, your relationship with God, and all other travelers. Surf smart, buckle up, Covenant Eyes. All right, you can email me and us, fearlessblazeshow at gmail.com. Timothy Gordon, next. Welcome back. Uh, yesterday, when I heard the news about what the Dodgers were doing and they're backpedaling, I put out a call over Twitter asking my followers, hey, who are the foremost authorities, most robust defenders of the Catholic faith? I've, I've been wanting to attack this issue that the Dodgers and Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence gave me the opportunity to because I'm not a Catholic, uh, but I'm sympathetic towards the attack against Catholics. And when I saw this yesterday, 
all, all I could think about was like, hold on, they're allowing drag queens to mock Catholic nuns. This is like the Dodgers. I go, this is just crazy. And so I wanted to find out who is in the field of defending Catholicism and that faith, invite them on the show, and people recommended, several people, but Timothy Gordon was someone that was recommended strongly, so was Dr. Taylor Marshall. We're gonna have them both. We're gonna start with Timothy Gordon. He's a Catholic philosopher. Uh, he hosts a podcast, Rules for Retrogrades. Uh, Timothy, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. I, I, you're probably not shocked or surprised at all at what the Dodgers were doing. It's probably what you expected at this point, given you can say virtually anything about Catholics and no one cares. Great to be with you, Jason. It's a, it's a great honor. Yeah, it's a combination. It's a surprise on one hand. It's not a surprise on the other hand. It's at least ironic that sport, the craft of the moral perfection of the body, has turned on Roman Catholicism. That much is certainly true. I mean, the Arist we're the original Christian Aristotelians in the church, and, and Christian Aristotelianism takes as its watchword, as its reason for being, the soul always in and with the body, and form always in and with matter. And on our view of things, the, the Christian Aristotelian Catholic view of the body, and it's, it's something like uh, hylomorphism, this is a, a Christian Aristotelian teaching. We reject the sort of Gnosticism of which LGBTQ whatever is wrought that separates the soul and the body and says soul good, body bad. We say both together. Um, they say you aren't your body. Guess what? You are. You people out there, you are your body. You are your soul. You're both together. Both comprise a complete, well-ordered conception of the human person, body and soul. We are as Catholics, the Corpus Christi Christians, meaning you got a habeas corpus, you got to have the body. It's why it matters so much to us that we speak of reality when we speak of corporeality. Actually, strike what I just said above. Now, having said all that, hearing myself say it, it it's not ironic at all that after LGBTQ moved in, we had to move out. The real irony is that Catholics, Christians, and other conservatives are lending to our own cancellation. That's what surprises me. It doesn't surprise me so much what the Dodgers have done here. Tim, Royce White reached out to me yesterday and said, oh man, Tim Gordon, he's a heavy hitter. And I wish he had reached out to you and I, I, I wanna reach, because I love your explanation, but I want you to remember me when you're unpacking these things. I graduated from Ball State with a 2.3 GPA. Uh, you know, I'm not the brightest guy in the planet. So if you could, again, Aristotelian, Gnosticism, I'm, I'm familiar with Gnosticism through Bible study, but if you could just speak a little bit more in layman's terms because you're talking to an idiot. And, and, and so I, I think I get what you're saying totally, and, and particularly where you ended in terms of like the LGBTQ moving in means that religious faith and Catholics have to move out. And, and, and I certainly, from last night and this morning during the research, 
I, I certainly understand where Catholics land on body and soul and why this muscular Christianity that the YMCA started, the, the Catholics embrace. I, I, I get it all. I, I'm just... I'm so outraged, and again, I'm not a Catholic, I'm just so outraged in that it's just open season on Catholicism. It, it does not make sense to me as a Christian or as any other believer, why are we tolerating this? There's, there's a couple answers to that, but let, let me clarify for you, Jason. All I meant was, and all the bimillennial tradition, 2,000 years of Catholicism teaches us that bodies are not bad. Bodies are not you know, meant to be inscrutable. We can tell what the meanings of our bodies are and sports. I've, I've been a big fan of your show for, for five years, four years. Sports are where it, the, the, the proving ground, where you prove that bodies are actually good. Bodies are the way, the means by which we perfect our souls. We only have one body, we only have one soul, and our soul is in our bodies. There's another force out there, part of secular humanism, you know it, you talk about it every day, and it's grown into this muscular thing, if you'll pardon the pun, in LGBTQ, which goes like this, you are not your body. The soul is separate from the body. You really are your soul, and, and think about it just for half a second. This is the lie, and it's a, a Gnostic lie. It just means there's a secret meaning to your body that you're not understanding. The Gnostic lie that enables transgenderism to go forward semi-plausibly. I don't even think it's that. I don't think it's semi-plausible. But, but the point is when you divorce souls and bodies, this is my entire point in the opening shot there, then all of a sudden the uh, absurdity of – saying, I am not a man, even though my body is the body of a man, goes forward. And once those folks have moved into professional sports and they run it every day, I'm a huge NBA fan, then all of a sudden, yes, it makes total sense that, that the Christians would have to move out. And, and what I said, that isn't ironic. That part's, that part's really not ironic at all. But the great irony that you're kind of insinuating here, Jason, is that, that Catholics tolerate this. I mean, last Friday, there was a New York church, this was, I think, May 18th that first got reported, a Catholic church uh, in New York City decided to keep a highly controversial evil painting series, you and I would call it evil, called God is Trans, despite severe backlash. So when the right, when conservative Christians, namely Catholics, threw a stink about this God is Trans evil painting series, they did it in a weak loserish right-wing way and the left being let's face it strong committed determined they say no the reality in this country as you saw with the dodgers yesterday when you contacted me jason is that the christian right cancels its own we, or we at least lend our voices to the the mobbish outcry saying go ahead and cancel them if one right-wing person does something slightly wrong or even questionable. Whereas the secular left refused to be canceled. They, uh, who invented the poison pill of cancel culture, for conservatives to ingest, never to ingest the poison pill themselves, they cancel you for canceling them, which is what they're starting to do with the, the Dodgers night, uh, with, the, with the trans fest or whatever the hell it's called. 
you see the point here? They're good. They win. They're good at fighting. They use the poison pill. We swallow all their poison pills. We're weak. We're gullible. We turn on each other, the right, and I'm sick of it. Sick of it. They are certainly imposing their will. And, and at some point, as believers, we're going to have to meet them where they are in terms of like, they're willing to impose their will by any means necessary. And if we think we're going to compromise our way out of that, we're sorely mistaken. We're gonna have to be willing to impose our will by any means necessary. And, and it's unfortunate that it has come to this, but that's where we're at. And, and, and so there's many things I say on this show that are unpopular and, and the mainstream doesn't approve of. I'm about to say another one. I think, and this is why I wanted you on, and this is why I want Taylor Marshall on. I think, and, and again, this is not through careful study. This is through gut instincts as a journalist. The problems with the Catholic Church have been greatly exaggerated because the left and the secular realize the importance of the Catholic Church, and so they've exaggerated in popular culture, in movies. The, I'm not saying there have been no pedophiles in the priesthood, but I guarantee you there's more sexual malfeasance in the public school systems than have ever existed within the Catholic school system in the Catholic church and all of that. The problems are more severe in the secular world, but the uh, popular culture has branded Catholics as pedos and the whole thing is rife with, I think it's all been exaggerated to eliminate and silence a force for good in America and throughout the globe. A am I crazy for thinking that the, the there are problems, but they've been exaggerated and have been used as a tool to silence Catholics. You're not crazy at all. The problems have been partly exaggerated, but partly manufactured through a super granular, super specific, coordinated attack from within an infiltration from between the time of roughly 1860 Civil War era through about the 1970s. That period of 100 years, if, if you'll permit me, I, I, I read you just a few bullet points that substantiate there was an absolute infiltration of the church that was coordinated that popes at the time saw from Pius IX, Pius X, Leo XIII, some of the most based and red-pilled popes were, came right at the late, late 19th century. And they said, look what's happening. There's going to be an infiltration in the church, and, and we can substantiate it. Even here in America, folks like Bella Dodd, Yves DuPont, other uh, converted Catholics uh, informed some of these bullet points. I, I'd love to run those through you. But the, the funny thing is— Go ahead. Have, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, so the St. Michael the Archangel prayer, which appears in movies like Gangs of New York— it's a based and red-pilled prayer, was written in 1886 by Leo XIII. It sounds like a battle cry. It is a battle cry against the burgeoning forces of darkness outside the church and inside the church. There are apocryphal tales of why Leo XIII composed it, 
suddenly, and it's because he heard a dialogue between our Lord and Satan, saying, Satan tempted our Lord, saying, if, if you permit me a little more power, I can turn your entire church against you. I can turn it into an effectual anti-church. And our Lord says, you have 70 years, or in some stories, 100 years. You have the time. You have the power. Do your worst, like Edmund Dantes says in Count of Monte Cristo. And he composed this beautiful, lengthy, darkling prayer called the St. Michael Prayer. So that's in 1886. A little bit before that, in 1859, there was the papal interception of a document from the highest Carbonari Lodge, that's like Freemason in Italy, 1859. The document was called the Permanent Instruction of the Alta Vendita. In the Alta Vendita, it gave specific directives for Freemasonic operatives to infiltrate the church take it over, get as high as they could in the cardinalate, surround the Pope, and soft-pedal the ideas of Marxist masonry. And Catholics would be peddling, therefore, downstream of that Marxist masonry without even knowing it. Uh, if you jump forward by a century toward the end of this hundred-year process, in 1972, Yves DuPont published a true story called Confessions of Seminary Student 1025, uh, detailing how Stalin had planned in the late 1920s and early 1930s an infiltration into particularly American Catholic seminaries. Now, this is substantiated by independently famous Bella Dodd, who uh, published a book called School of Darkness. She like Whitaker Chambers is probably the most famous reconverted Catholic who had been a communist, at least among American ranks. She testified before investigatory committees in the Congress. Um, and in the early 50s, she said that Stalin had tasked her to put, in some accounts, 1,100, other people say 1,200 communists into American seminaries and that at least four of those people had risen very high in the ranks of the Catholic cardinalate. And when she reconverted, she reconverted at the behest of uh, Fulton Sheen, Archbishop Fulton Sheen. And she confessed to him, along with a couple very famous Catholic intellectuals, a husband and wife, Dietrich and Alan von Hildebrand, that they'd risen very high. And this was her doing. And she was extremely uh, upset about it and felt guilty about it. So this is probably what the, the conventions of the anti-apostle, the seminary student 1025 refers to. He was ostensibly one of Bella Dodd's 1,100 men put into the seminary. All this goes together to say that a working sort of operative anti-church has been erected within the true church. And it is why we have this Stockholm Syndrome, ideologically speaking, as Catholics. And it really took root during the Second Vatican Council, before, during, and immediately after the Second Vatican Council. The funny thing is, you, you might not even know it, Jason, you're also having Dr. Taylor Marshall on today. He and I, in the fall of 2018, had probably the most popular English-speaking Catholic podcast in the world for a time in 2018 and 2019. We were like the Catholic Undisputed, except we, we did much less arguing than Skip and Shannon. We were just red-pilling our fellow Catholics on the importance of the Latin Mass, the Corpus Christi. The body of Christ really takes center in the Latin Mass 
And in the new mass, that has been deliberately downplayed, to put it lightly. And also, the scheme of Pope Francis, which seems to be the crown, the crown gem of this 100-year process of infiltration, um, there's a group, an interior working group within the Cardinalate called the St. Gallen Mafia. They meet yearly in Switzerland, and St. Gallen, Switzerland, which is like a little idyllic chocolatier's town, they met, we know by their admissions, at least from 1996 to 2005, and they said they had one guy at that 2005 conclave that gave us Benedict XVI. They had one guy they were trying for. They wanted to avoid a Ratzinger papacy, which they did not, because Benedict was eventually elected. But second in the voting was Jorge Mario Bergoglio. You know him as Pope Francis, and they got him in eight and a half years later after the mysterious resignation of Benedict XVI. Well, he has enacted, according to some of the faithful cardinals, the exact scheme worked up by this Marxist and Masonic infiltration. There's there's a, pope, a cardinal in the church called Walter Brandmuller who said this is going to be the scheme of the St. Gallen Mafia instantiated in the Francis Pontificate, and it has followed like clockwork. He said that back in 2014. So the point is, we're living it out now, and center and center-right Catholics don't know what to make of it. It's only the far right-wingers that, like Taylor Marshall and me and our audiences, that know how to cull the wheat from the chaff, know how to make sense of all this. But I'd say even the center-right groups out there spend more of their own time shooting down folks like my friend Patrick Coffin, who's got this great conference tomorrow, um, instead of taking after that New York church I told you about, uh, taking after the leftist media as it concerns the order of perpetual indulgences, who are filthy, by the way. Filthy. Tim, I hear all that. And it makes me think about conversations we've had on this show, uh, particularly with Virgil Walker from G3 Ministries, who has walked this audience and myself through how the Marxists got their hooks into Dr. Martin Luther King and how Dr. Martin Luther King's doctrine was not biblically sound. Uh, he didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and several other things. And so when, when I, I now look at the black church in particular and black Christians and how we're so detached from God and more detached to a political party, the Democrat Party, Virgil has opened my eyes and helped me see how Dr. King laid the foundation for that. And, and, and it's, it, it just, it seems far-fetched and conspiratorial to some what you're arguing, but it's really not. Because if anybody really wanted to uh, harm the United States of America, take control of the people, you have to detach them from true religious faith in order to do that. And you're making an argument that basically the same thing that I sit here and think, well, man, that only happened to us black Christians. You're arguing, no, it's happened to the Catholic faith and, and Catholic worshipers as well. We've all been led astray. Absolutely. Bella Dodd said, she told Archbishop this, Stalin's primary goal, its primary target, was the subversion of Roman Catholicism 
and he, he knew that as Roman Catholicism went, the other true forms of Christianity, you know, se separated by a, a schism in 1054 or, or 1517, but true Christians like the Orthodox, like Protestants, would follow. And this seems to have been the case. I, I mean, I, it, you can't overstate the point that after the French Revolution, the worldwide global leftist elite, country to country, took the message that this, this is going to be the last time that we attempt to subdue Christianity from without by martial means, by military means. Remember, the seat of the church is the blood of the martyrs. The Beastie Boys say, try to talk shit, it only makes me strong. That's the Christian's credo. It's that if you attack us from without, it only makes us stronger. Like Obi-Wan, this was episode four, right? But if you, we don't have the vetting powers that the CIA or NSA or FBI do to double check, triple check, quadruple check the entries into our sacerdotal order, our priestly class, our episcopate. If, if these people can walk like a duck and, and quack like a duck and get into the seminaries, and do the right things and say the right things and ascend very high. For Catholics, I, I, I imagine this is what happened to Anglicanism. It went even faster. Then you can have leaders that have captured the institution. And this is precisely how institutional capture works. It happened in uh, mainstream news organizations very, very early in the 20th century. It happened in sports media, it happened in entertainment media. Higher ed, lower ed, happened in military. Ivy League schools. They were Bible seminaries. I know. <laughs> now, now they're as hostile to a biblical worldview as anything on the planet. It's, it's... <sighs> Timothy, thank you so much uh, for joining us. I'm going to have you back on because uh, th there's so much, I think, synergy between what's going on in the Catholic faith and what's going on with Protestant? I, th there's there's so much synergy, and w we have to ally with each other the same way the other group is allying with everybody that doesn't believe in God. Uh, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Uh, when we come back, uh, Dr. Taylor Marshall will join us next. All right, welcome back. As you just heard from Timothy Gordon, uh, Dr. Taylor Marshall really needs no introduction. He's a Catholic theologian and philosopher, podcast host of the Dr. Taylor Marshall podcast, friends and former partners with uh, Timothy Gordon. I wanna continue my discussion about the attack on the Catholic Church. Uh, Taylor, thank you for joining us, or Dr. Marshall, or Taylor. I'm going to call you Taylor. I'm probably older than you. Call me Taylor. Taylor. I look older than you. Uh, <laughs> Taylor, uh, thank you so much for joining us. I I I'll begin kind of where I began with Timothy. You're probably not surprised that the Dodgers bowed to the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence because you've probably gotten used to the world turning against Catholics. 
Yeah, it's quite troubling because, you know, we've seen this invasion. They're taking up space, the left, the liberal, the Marxist, Antifa, everyone. They're taking up space, but it's not enough just to take over the libraries. You see, they want to desecrate that which is sacred. Their their ultimate goal, their ultimate enemy is, is not you. It's not me. It's almighty God who established in the very beginning a man and a woman, and he defined holy matrimony as a man and a woman until death do us part. I didn't make those rules. You didn't make the, the Catholic Church didn't make that rule. Your pastor, God made those rules. So what we're seeing here is desecration. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, I don't know if you have an image of them, they're dressing up to make fun of nuns. There it is right there right? They are committing sacrilege. It's not enough for them just to be trans. It has to be trans against nuns. And in our Catholic tradition, nuns are consecrated to Jesus Christ. We often refer to them as the brides of Christ, the spouses of Christ. So this is a direct mockery. They're using rosary beads, they're using crosses, and they're using the habit or the outfit that nuns wear in the Catholic Church. And the fact that the Dodgers in LA, Los Angeles means city of the angels. Historically, it was founded by Catholics, missionaries. The fact that in the city of angels, a historic Catholic city, perhaps the biggest Catholic population for a city in North America is mocking Jesus Christ. This has to be resisted, not just by Catholics, but by all Christians, by all people of goodwill. I was, you just schooled me uh, quite a bit there in terms of, you're saying Catholics were at the foundation of Los Angeles? Yes, the, the original name of Los Angeles was Our Lady Queen of the Angels. So missionaries came up from, out from the south out of old Spain, Mexico, and they founded all these cities. So Sacramento means sacrament. Uh, San Francisco means St. Francis, you know, Santa Barbara means St. Barbara. And L.A. was named after the Virgin Mary, Queen of the Angels. It's the city of the angels. And so there's this deep Catholic history. The founding of California is in its origin Catholic, the cities, the structure, the culture. And the fact that their premier MLB team is mocking it. And by the way, the the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence are scheduled on June 16th, I believe, which is the Catholic feast day of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, which is the day we celebrate the humility of Jesus Christ to come and be our Savior and die on the cross. So the day of our celebrating the humility of Christ, they're going to be celebrating pride. It's... I'm so glad you made that point because that's how we went from everyone understanding the like, hey, pride's not a good thing to pride being the most important thing. And this is really a problem with uh, the black community, you know, that, that I object to this whole from James Brown, say it loud, I'm bracket, I'm proud. None of this is good. And it's like, We've totally rejected a biblical understanding of the world and have embraced a secular understanding of the world. And so the things the Bible says are bad. 
we now say are good. The things the Bible say are good. We now say are bad. And, and, and you're helping me understand the importance of California in, in overturning a biblical worldview. I, until you just helped me understand, didn't understand California's background. And I lived in California for 10 years and every city you named with uh, a name that relates to religious faith. I've been there, visited, spent plenty of time there. And it's like, now I get it why California is so important and why there's been, you know, from San Francisco to the whole thing, it's, it's all the other direction. But how, I, pride as a good thing, if I'm a Dodgers player that's a believer, I don't play on June 16th. I'm sorry. I, I take a stand, but, but it's like no one's willing to take a stand, it doesn't seem like. Yeah, I mean, uh, Sandy Koufax, once of the Dodgers, he he didn't play, I believe, because it was on the day of a Potomac or or some Jewish feast day. So in honor of that, he he uh, took the day off. And I I would encourage all people of goodwill, Christians, Catholics in Los Angeles, you have to boycott. We have seen so much power in the boycott of Bud Light and Anheuser Busch. Uh, then we started seeing it now with Target. It was just reported today target sales are way down because of everything they're pushing upon children. We people who believe in God, we believe in the sanctity of life. We believe that matrimony is defined by God, one man, one woman. If we are the majority, we are strong. All these corporations and politicians think we are just weak and we're just going to be tolerant and we're going to let them steamroll us. We must unite just that Bud Light situation revealed how strong we are. We can crush this. They already overturned the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence once, and then they they walked it back again, and now the Sisters are back. We got to put pressure on them. If they have no sales in their stadium, they have no sales of merchandise, no sales of hot dogs. Look, money talks to these corporations, and we are the majority. We are strong. So. No money for Bud Light, no money for Target, and no money for the L.A. Dodgers. Taylor, this you and Timothy back-to-back -back are confirming instincts that I've had since the beginning. You know, I started doing this show, Fearless, for, for two years ago. And, and one of my number one instincts were is that those of us that are believers we're being separated by denominations and little disagreements over scripture and all this. And, and, and we got to throw all that aside and come together or we're going to lose everything. And, and, and you know, there's a pastor Anthony comes on the show or Anthony Walker comes on this show. And I saw he gave a sermon about Luke 22 and 31 and, and Jesus telling the disciples that the devil plans to sift you as wheat. And, and I heard this sermon, it really struck me, and it made me think about what's happening to us, to us as believers. The devil has separated us, we don't come together, we don't, and the other side, they come together, uh, the, the black idolatrous, the sexuality idolatrous, the gender idolatrous, they all come together. They put all their differences aside to come together. Those of us that believe in God, we have to come together and to fight these people. And so I, 
you know, I'm not done, but I just want to thank you again, you and Timothy again, for coming on this show. You're confirming my belief. We have to find our common ground, and our common ground is, is Jesus Christ and our faith in God. But we got to work together and pool our resources and do exactly what you're talking about. Spend our money with people that share our values and beliefs. Absolutely. The L's and the G's and the B's and the T's and everybody else comes together for that agenda of godlessness. And we, you need, we tonight, we are the majority. I think we just need to realize we are the sleeping giant. We hold the purse strings. We have the most numbers. We can swing elections. We have to unite and we have to hold firm to our beliefs. They hold firm and they screech and they yell and they terrorize corporations and politicians. Politicians need to know that we believe in God, we believe in holy matrimony, we believe in the sanctity of life, and we're not going to have a bunch of men dressed up like nuns committing sacrilege with the cross. I mean, even if you're not Catholic, these so-called sisters of perpetual loans are desecrating the cross, the symbol of our faith. They're desecrating the cross. So whether you're not Catholic or you don't believe in nuns or whatever, this is an attack on Christianity, and we must come everything we got against it, everything we got, full boy, boycott and, and more. So, so if the Sisters of Indulgence came together uh, to mock Islam and Muhammad, where do you think the Dodgers would stand on that? Well, you know, that's to our shame, Jason, because the Muslims, they don't put up with stuff. And I gotta, I'm not a Muslim, but I got to respect them that when people try to tear up the Quran or say thing about their prophet, so-called, they, they raise a ruckus, right? And they get things done. The fact that we get run over, you know, we got to look to ourselves. Why don't we raise a ruckus? Why don't we boycott? Why are we allowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to be blasphemed by these people? Do we really believe, I mean, do we believe in Christ and Christianity to the level that they believe in transgenderism? That's a personal question that each one of us has to ask. And I think if we ask it, I think the answer is yes, we believe. And, you know, as James says in chapter two, faith produces works. You know, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's not enough just to believe. You have to go out there and do Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That means we got to start prayerfully through God's grace, bringing about the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And this is one place right here where we have to win this battle. So this morning, last night, when I was thinking about this with the Dodgers, I went down a rabbit hole of, of trying to prove that uh, hey, like, didn't Catholics, they're critical to the foundation of sports. And, and that's what led me down the rabbit hole. Like, like no, either the YMCA started in the UK in the mid-1800s, and then it came over here to America. And then the Catholic Youth Organization, the CYO, uh, in the 1930s came and built off what the YMCA was doing. And, and, and really, the CYO was the leader in promoting racial harmony through sports. I mean, th they were founded on that. I, the Archbishop in Chicago, I can't think of his name, but in the 1930s, this was a core principle that separated the CYO from other sports leagues. It was their position on race, 
uh, faith and gender not to discriminate against. And, and, and I, it was all eye-opening, refreshing to me. And I'm wondering, just the same way that you educated me about uh, California, were you aware, are Catholics aware of how central they have been to the development of organized sports and for everybody to be able to participate and benefit from organized professional sports? Are Catholics aware like, hey man, this is our stuff that you're running us out of? Yeah, I, I think generally Catholics are aware that that we have this tradition of recreation and sportsmanship. Uh, it's definitely part of it. For example, we Catholics have never believed that playing sports on a Sunday is a sin. We always thought that that was part of recreation, part of the joy of being recreated in Christ. So that that's definitely part of our tradition. We don't see it as as work. And then I think team sports are also something deeply Catholic. Uh, if you go to Catholic countries, particularly football, a.k.a. soccer and other nations, that's always been a, a deeply uh, Catholic tradition. So, yeah, I think so. And I uh, and you look at the history of American sports and some of the greats. I mean, I, I don't know. We don't have time to go through them. Um, uh, boxers, baseball players, football players, you know, like Mike Ditka. Um, you know, the, these men come from this Catholic tradition, especially in the team sports. So I think Catholics are generally aware of it. And I think that, you know, that's kind of a one-two punch, isn't it, Jason? That we got the L.A. Dodgers, right, in Los Angeles, the city of the Angels. And then we've got this this tradition, this patrimony of team sports and of enjoying, um, you know, physical competition. And it's being hijacked for what? A bunch of perverted men dressing up like nuns. What does that have to do with baseball? What does that have to do with uh, Los Angeles? It has nothing to do with any of that. These are people taking their degenerate agenda and shoving it down our throats. People want to play baseball. They want to watch baseball. They don't want to see a bunch of men with all this makeup caked on, uh, dressed up like a bunch of nuns. That has nothing to do with baseball. This is completely about politics and an agenda and a perversity being pushed upon kids and their families because they can't have kids. Tim Gordon, before you were on, was was walking me through an infiltration, a perversion of the Catholic Church that he says has been going on for 100 years. And, and you know, there's Pope Francis is seems to be quite a controversial figure or interesting figure in what's going on in Catholicism. I know you made mention of, to me, that uh, Ukraine's Zelensky presented Pope Francis with a gift that did not or eliminate, blacked out the baby Jesus. Your, your, your thoughts on that? Yeah, so uh, Vladimir Zelensky, the president of the Ukraine, he just met with Pope Francis and he gave him a gift. You know, often they give the Pope a gift when they meet with him. It's, you know, an old Bible or, you know, uh, an icon or a statue, something significant that relates to their Christian patrimony from where they're from, whether it be from Africa or Eastern Europe. Zelensky gave this peculiar icon. It's it's an icon of the Madonna, the Virgin Mary, holding baby Jesus. And when you look closely at it, I don't know if you have an image of it, when you look close, 
the image of Jesus Christ, it's a, it's a black silhouette. It's like someone took the icon and they took a black paintbrush and they, they blacked out everywhere Jesus is. So when you look at the image, you expect to see Mary, the mother Mary, holding the baby Jesus. And instead, there's just like a shadow or a ghost on Mary's lap. And this was seen as highly, highly offensive to the world's Catholics. Zelensky's explanation was, well, Jesus is missing and that represents all the Ukrainian children. I mean, I get that. Jesus loves the little children. He calls the little children to them. He says, you must become a child to enter the kingdom of heaven. So the idea of the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ and his love for the children is deeply rooted in our gospel, our message, our theology. But that doesn't mean that you would, in our our perspective, desecrate a image that is centuries old, that is known by all Christians, the Virgin Mary holding the baby Jesus, is probably next to the cross or the crucifix, the number two image that's associated with our faith, and and sort of take an eraser to Jesus and, and remove him and then give it to the Pope. It looks to us like Zelensky is trolling Catholics all over the world. You know, it, we we couldn't take, you know, Zelensky belongs to the Jewish faith. We couldn't take a Jewish item and then desecrate it, like take a Torah and then black out parts of the text and present it to him. That would be highly offensive. So the fact that people, world leaders, corporations, major league baseball teams are taking these measures that are directly offensive to Catholics and to Christians all over the world. You know, it's not just Catholics who love baby Jesus. All Christians love Jesus because he came to us in his humility, born in Bethlehem. So it's time that we become vocal, not violent, not advocating violence, but we take our attendance and our pocketbooks and our checkbooks and we begin to support those who are pro-family, pro-God, pro-Christ, and we boycott those who are going to shove this degeneracy in our face. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence is just a mockery of Christ, and we reject it, and we will not support the Dodgers, period. I asked Tim this question. I want to ask you as well. It's my belief off gut instincts that there's problems within the Catholic Church, no different than there's problems within any denomination or any institution, organization, whatever. They're run by humans, and so there's problems. And, and I'm not making light of the problems that the media has focused on within the Catholic Church, but I, I feel like they've been exaggerated to silence the Catholic Church and to silence Catholics and to diminish the Catholic influence over the world. I'm not a Catholic, but I'm not stupid. I can recognize the positive influence of Catholic charities. And and I certainly played in some church leagues when I was a young athlete. And uh, I I just, I wonder if, 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 if you feel that, that the problems have been exaggerated, but as a Catholic, you're in a tough position of defending the church because uh, there's so much blowback and criticism in the mainstream media and the brand of Catholicism has been so damaged by the mainstream media that it's difficult to defend. 
Well, I published a book. It's a bestseller. It's called Infiltration, The Plot to Destroy the Church from Within. And I definitely believe that over the last 200 years, there has been an ideological and personal infiltration of people who who hate God and hate the church. And they've come into seminaries and they've become clergy. Um, there's been all kinds of testimonies and witnesses of this, especially in the last 60, 70 years. Um, if you're the devil, you want to attack inside the church, not outside the church. You want to be where the action is. So I, you know, am not going to defend sin, scandal, pedophilia, uh, sexual immorality that has happened in the Catholic Church. It's a fact. Um, from the very beginning, there was a Judas Iscariot amongst the 12 apostles. There's always been infiltrators, what Jesus Christ calls wolves in sheep clothing. And as a Catholic, I want there to be zero tolerance. I don't want us to say, well, we're just about as good as the school system or just about as good as the Baptist or the Lutherans. No, I mean, Jesus Christ said, let the little children come under me. Anyone who scandalizes a little one, Jesus said it would be better for a millstone to be tied around his neck and thrown into the ocean. That's my personal belief for all these pedophiles, whether they're priests or laymen, let's get rid of them. Uh, zero tolerance for that. But there are places where it has been exaggerated, and I think we should just take a sober look at it. But I would rather be more on the vigilant side and say, okay, there are problems. We need to systematically root out that evil um, with more oversight, more awareness. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not one to come on and say, man, the Catholic Church is, is just perfect. All of this stuff is just hype and fake news. There are real problems that need to really be uh, addressed. And, and I think the more mature and the more uh, rational approach is to admit failures, admit problems, and then seek ways to, to fix it. Taylor, thank you so much for spending some time with us. I'm going to invite you back because, again, we have to partner together across denominations and across petty differences, if it, or, or we're just going to continue to get our butts kicked. And uh, the Sisters of Indulgence will be running everything, uh, and there'll be drag queens uh, manipulating kids from here until eternity. Uh, thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Awesome job. Uh, go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit notifications. Hit that like button. Uh, Delano Squires next. All right, welcome back. Uh, let's roll out to Washington, D.C. and bring in uh, Delano Squires. Delano, yesterday, as I'm thinking about uh, what the Dodgers have done and are doing and how they're bowing to the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, mm -hmm. I'm also at the same time watching a Vody Bauckham uh, sermon from probably a year ago. Uh, and it was about the issue of the LGBTQ and their methods and tactics to mainstream themselves and how they've made gay the new black. And it's 
48, 50 minute sermon. I shared it with you. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it has great synergy, I believe, with this whole discussion uh, that, that we're having. But before I play a couple of Vody clips and have you react to that, I, I just your your general thoughts about what the Dodgers have done, what pro sports have done in actually betraying their Christian founding. None of these people from the athletes to the executives to the owners, to uh, the people talking about it on television. None of them would be making the money that they're making, enjoying the lives they're making, if it wasn't for the YMCA, the CYO, the Christian organization of sport. And to see them embrace Pride Night and every other secular idea, it's sickening to me. Yeah, I, I would agree with you, Jason. And um, it's it's one of these things where this is a good reminder that there's no such thing as moral neutrality. Everybody thinks that Christian nationalism, quote unquote, is the big boogeyman and that Christians want to impose our values on the rest of society. But the truth of the matter is uh, every law, every policy, every decision from a company or organization or institution is itself the imposition of someone's version of morality on either the public square, on their employees, on fans, or on stakeholders. Um, and I've said this before, every, every culture, civilization, or country has a closet, quote unquote, right? There are certain uh, beliefs and ideas and practices that are relegated to the, to the private sphere. And we used to be a nation where uh, sexual behavior, a particular, particularly sexual behavior that was non-normative. So if it's two men or two women or in some combination that, that doesn't, you know, sort of uphold biblical sexual ethics, those things were relegated to, to the home, to the private sphere. So people say what you do behind closed doors is your business. And religious people, and particularly Christians, can express their faith publicly and openly. But now the roles have switched. And now religious people, and particularly Christians, sit in their closets and try to practice personal pronouns. And, well, Jim is now Jane, so I think it's a he, she, a demisexual, bi-gender, you know, pansexual. And the, the pride movement, which started with gay rights, and then, you know, morphed into we just want to be able to marry one another. And now it's drag queens and, and transgender people all across the culture that particular movement is out loud and proud. And the, and the sports, professional sports leagues and individual teams uh, have become just as out loud and proud with their identity um, as the individuals we're talking about. And really, when, when you see the NFL, the, the sort of the pinnacle of you know, masculine, the expression of masculinity in sports, cut an ad. And the first uh, three seconds is the NFL is gay you should know that it's, it's going downhill from there. I'm, I'm stunned with all of the millionaire American athletes who profess a religious faith. I, I just can't believe there's no objection from any of them. For, they're all, they, and this is, ties into what I said about 
Jim Brown yesterday. He's the only guy that never sold out. Everybody else, their values are based on a check and how big the check is. And this is all of sports, but all of these guys that pray, they pray at the end of games, they circle up, they pray before the games, after the games, they'll get interviewed and they just want to thank Jesus Christ, their Lord and personal savior. But all of this, their platform is being used to promote something that is clearly disobedient to God. None of them have anything to say. Well, we're coming to the point of testing and we've seen it. It started in the NHL or, or well, maybe between baseball and NHL, which are really the, the sort of redheaded stepchildren in terms of American professional sports. So you saw the one Russian dude who says, look, I don't. I'm not trying to disrespect anybody. I don't want to participate and it violates my faith. I think some players from the Tampa Bay Devil Rays a couple years ago said, we don't want to participate. We don't want to wear the jersey. Um, so it's it starting to bubble up. Now, where I think it's going and where I actually hope that it goes, because I want, particularly we're talking about the athletes in, in professional football and basketball. That's what I'm thinking about. I want these guys to have to make a public choice. And that is to either be buck broken in public and make Adam Silver or Roger Goodell make you put on a rainbow jersey with your name on it. Big, bad, masculine, young, six, seven, 260 pounds, <laughs> right? And they got James in, in rainbow on the back or, or whoever it is in, in, in football, Aaron Donald, Aaron Rodgers, whoever it is, I, it doesn't matter but either be buck broken in public or stand up to the league, say, I'm not doing this, and then face the backlash on social media from your sponsors, so on and so on and so forth. Because at the end of the day, Jason, everybody is gonna have to make a choice. Um, and, not, and these guys have so much money, the average person cannot even fathom. The average person cannot fathom getting $600,000 for three hours of work on game day. And that's how some of these guys live. But the thing is, the money is a trap because everybody thinks that it's quote unquote FU money, but it's really FU poverty because the man who has nothing and has nothing to lose, the man who says, I'm already dead, the Christian who says, I'm already uh, spiritually, I've, I've died to my sin and I'm renewed in Christ. You can't kill me again. Those are the people who have the boldness. These other guys are, are in rainbow shackles. And, and you talked about the sellout old guard. Kareem, definitely big time sellout. But there's also some of the journalists we've talked about, right? The, the Will Bonds, the, the Bill Rodens. These are all guys who back in the day were revolutionaries. You know, they probably had the Afro and the pick and the black turtleneck and the leather gloves. And now these guys are regime media. And, and they say, oh, well, tr trans is, as, as you know, Vody was saying, trans is the new black and, and they're docile. Because they, they would rather say whatever the corporate sponsors want them to say, whether that's promoting experimental uh, medical trials or promoting every aspect of the pride agenda, than, than, than suffer harm for, for standing up for truth and standing up for their actual values. Because Jason, you and I know something. Let's say the single guys in the NFL and the NBA, they'll talk all that nonsense about trans women or women or whatever, whatever. But if you look at their Tinder profile and when they have to check the box and they say interested in women and one one of the boxes says bone in or bone out, 
you know that they're not checking the bone in box. You understand? So these guys are phony. Say uh. <laughs> perfect segue <laughs> to uh, talk about Bodie Bauckham's uh, sermon, and and because he immediately goes into uh, gay is the new black and who is promoting that. Let's play the clip. Gay is the new black idea. Um, a couple of decades ago, it was, it was a really, it was a really big thing, right? Um, the Advocate ran a cover story. The Advocate, for those of you who don't know, is um, a very uh, popular uh, gay magazine. They ran this cover story: "Gay is the new black," right? And the idea was clear. The idea was that, you know, in the civil rights struggle, we have now moved to another area and another level of the civil rights struggle, and that's the struggle for gay rights, which, you know, it would be argued now that people have moved beyond that to now trans rights. But who are these key exponents? One, homosexual activists, obviously. Two, um, black and civil rights leaders three judges, four business and political leaders, and then finally, religious leaders. These, these are people who are putting forward this idea that gay is the new black, and that the sexual identity movement, sexual identity Marxism, is a continuation of this social justice movement and this quest for so-called racial justice. Your thoughts on who he identifies as the people promoting this idea that gay is the new black? I think as often as the case, Vodi is spot on. Um, I mean, maybe the only entity, uh, you know, could have added uh, entertainers and uh, politicians so he mentioned judges, which is within the sort of political realm, um, but there are also lawmakers, executives who, who are pushing this stuff 100 miles an hour. But, but his identification of black and civil rights uh, leadership organizations is 100% correct. And anyone who's following the NAACP now, uh, more than any other organization, has seen that. And we talked about how they gave the president's award to Dwayne Wade and Gabrielle Union. And they were explicit. If you're the type of person that has the, the Christian beliefs of the people who powered the NAACP 50 years ago, you are no longer welcome in that organization. And that's why, moving forward, Tony Dungy has no chance of receiving a president's award from the NAACP, but Little Nas X does, because the NAACP is fully on board with um, the pride movement and everything that that entails. And that's why even when they had the silly little, you know, advisory about traveling to Florida and all this other stuff, it was black people, people of color, and LGBTQ individuals. These two things, these these two groups, um, if you can even call, you know, LGBT a, a group, uh, these two groups are now um, attached at the hip. And wherever you see uh, black or black and brown or BIPOC, you know, black indigenous people of color, right behind it. And, and Vody actually used the, the, the train in the caboose sort of metaphor. You're going to have all things LGBTQ. So I think he's spot on in his analysis. Um, it was really enlightening that he talked about how 
you know, he talked about Dr. King and, and his association with Bayard Rustin, who was his mentor. Um, I obviously, you know, anybody who follows this knows Bayard Rustin, James Baldwin were, were gay, but I didn't know J, uh, Bayard Rustin had sort of written about how even at that time in the 60s, how he wanted to make the transition from, you know, civil rights for black folk and now into the gay rights uh, movement. So yeah, the, I, I think Vody is spot on in his analysis. I think a lot of people um, still have not opened their eyes. A lot of Christians still are in denial of this. A lot of black Christians are in denial of this. And, and they and the NAACP, one thing to their credit, they know their target audience and they know if if they say um, Ron DeSantis is trying to erase black history. Right. They 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 are against CRT. Um, they want to uh, take uh, black kid, black people out of the 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 story, the American story. They want to cancel diversity, equity and inclusion. They know that the people that they're trying to message to their black supporters are going to have a Pavlovian response. Because when you hear someone, particularly among black folk, is against diversity, the first thing they think is, oh, they're trying to take us back to the 1950s. And they're playing on that fear. You know, I call that the Selma syndrome. They're playing on that fear to get a mass of black folk to back them while they, with the other hand, sneak all the LGBT stuff in through the back door. Um, and, And I think believers and Christians and particularly black Christians who know better should say, we don't play backdoor politics. Um, so if you want to, uh, you know, confront us and say we're, you're against a particular thing, come at us through the front door. Tell us exactly what the person is doing to, to take away my rights. But, but because we don't want, you know, BLM and, and, you know, uh, uh, Marsha P. Johnson in the, in the black studies curriculum doesn't mean that they're trying to erase black history. When I hear people that are so overprotective of the diversity, equity, and inclusion deal, when I hear black people, I I'm apologize for being this transparent, but I, I hear these people, hey, I have no qualifications other than my skin color. I have nothing to offer other than diversity. Because if I had a real skill, if I was a real asset to a company, my skin color would be irrelevant. And it was like, no, no, I'm bringing something to the table. You can't get anyplace else. I'm more reliable. I'm more valuable. I'm more skilled than my competitors. That's why, again, I don't think I'm getting a job over because of diversity, because of my skin color. I'm getting a job because like, I bring a skill to the table. And, and if I can't bring a skill to the table, I'm going to start my own business <laughs> and, and, and do that rather than sit around because a lot of these universities and now a lot of these corporations are filled with diversity, equity, inclusion departments where a bunch of black people and gay people and women sit around and talk about how to manage all the employees in a diverse way. And that's their job is to sit around and talk and to educate white people on how to engage with their black employees. That's not a job. That's Steven's job. If they really understand, that's Steven from Django. That was his job with Leonard DiCaprio, to sit and counsel Leonard DiCaprio on how to manage the Negroes on the plantation. 
that's what these diversity, equity, inclusion jobs are. You're paid to be Steven. And I'm not trying to just bet. These are just facts. That's your job. Yeah. You're Steven. You're six-figure yeah. Steven. And, 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 and you're right, because these jobs, particularly on the college level, pay extremely well. I mean, high six figures in the fours and the threes for some of the, the you know, sort of upper echelon DEI, uh, you know, administrators. But you're right, Jason. Uh, I saw a story yesterday about um, the DEI or whatever the, the version of it is for Uber. That person, the chief diversity officer, is on leave now because Uber had a series of, I guess, events or meetings or, or whatever talking about how white women feel about being called Karen. Right. And I'm assuming some of the black and Hispanic employees said, well, who cares how they feel? Right. Because the thing is, with this diversity stuff and, and on the left, diversity actually means getting different people who look differently, but think the same. And that's why whenever someone introduces a, a, a different thought than what everybody else has, they, they freak out. Right. So inclusion, inclusion really means, again, we want people to have the same views, but come from maybe some different places, but everybody tends to be upper middle class anyway, right? They have the stereotypical, you know, uh, upper middle class white female liberal politics. Um, and inclusion is funny because as soon as you step outside of those bounds, then they wanna fire you. It's not, hey, you know, you have a different perspective than I am. Let's, let's reason together and figure out you know, how we can gain, gain some more understanding. It's never that. It's say these things, believe these things. If you don't, you should be fired. So it's actually gonna be interesting to see this entire industry fold in on itself because at the end of the day, no one can, can uphold their standard of righteousness. And the reason that um, you see such vengeance on that side is because their God, the small g God of DEI, um, it believes in original sin. Um, their religion has minor and major prophets, right? I would count Ibram Kendi and Robin D'Angelo definitely among the minor prophets. Um, it has all of the makings of an actual religion, except its God is never fully and finally satisfied. And that's the difference between Christianity, the true faith, right? Where Christ made the, the full and final sacrifice and this sort of woke the religion of, of, of wokeness, so to speak, because there is always someone else who's reprobate that, that needs to be punished um, and, and sort of sacrificed on their cross. So it, it's funny seeing it, you know, fall in on itself. And, and I think any person who has, who has any semblance of independent thought should try to stay as far away from corporate America and the university setting at this time as possible. I want to play you this second Vody clip <clears throat> where he kind of details and talks about a book that was written, that, mm -hmm. I think, That's 30 wrong. years ago that mm -hmm. spelled out the agenda and the game plan and the method that would be used to mainstream the alphabet mafia agenda. Let's play the clip. So the method, what, 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 are, they, what are they going to do? What did these two Harvard professors propose? I'm glad you asked. The campaign we, out, we outline, and after the ball, though complex, depends centrally upon a program of unabashed propaganda, firmly grounded in long-established principles of psychology and advertising. 
Remember, I told you, one professor of psychology and one of marketing. But they said propaganda. Certainly they're just using that loosely, right? No, they actually define propaganda in the book. They say that it relies on emotional manipulation, uses lies, and is subjective and one-sided. Just in case you were wondering what they meant when they said it was propaganda. Relies on emotional manipulation, uses lies, and is subjective and one-sided. That was the play. That was the strategy. To tell their side of the story and to frame their side of the story in such a way that they got what they were after. Three things they used. Desensitizing, jamming, and conversion. Um, they also acknowledged the fact that these are the three steps in brainwashing. But these were the three steps that they used. What, what does this mean? Well, first, desensitizing. The idea of desensitizing was very simple. And what they argued was that they needed to get images of gays and gayness into the public arena. They, they needed to have, you know, TV shows and, and commercials and, you know, uh, out athletes and actors and actresses and they needed to use this they they need the they used an illustration and and they talked about turning on a shower right and just overwhelming the straight world with this so that after a while they get used to being wet this for people that want to watch the entire sermon it's 48 minutes it's called Vody Bakum raising the next generation in turbulent times. It's a brilliant sermon. It, it, it's, it, it was done probably a year ago. I, I, when I hear that clip we just played in terms of just like how they have executed their plan to perfection, you can't turn on a television show, you can't turn on a commercial, you can't turn on sports, you can't turn on anything, social media apps, whatever, anything, without being hammered in the face over and over and over again with some type of LGBTQ, IA plus silent P messaging. It's, it's incredible what they've done. We've been bathed in it, and, that, and now we, all we think to do is to compromise. It's, oh, okay, we'll give you same-sex marriage. Okay, we'll give you pronouns. Okay, now it's like, okay, yeah, you can have sex with our kids, but only with a condom. That, that, that's literally what we've been reduced to. How, all, how many times are we going to back up and back up and compromise and think we're going to compromise our way out of this? It, it just can't be done. Yeah, it's, I mean, that clip, and, I, and I've heard him talk about that book, After the Ball, um, and some other sermons he's given, even ones related to homeschooling. Because uh, he talks about the the homosexual agenda in in K through 12 education, but one of the things it it should make us all understand is that within a given culture and civilization and society, um, there are often a small group of people who are very strategic about a particular agenda that they want to implement, 
And Jason, you and I have been around long enough where even sometimes invoking the term gay agenda makes people say, oh, there's, there's no agenda. Well, what are you talking about? Well, what's actually the gay agenda? But there clearly is. And th- these guys were calling their shot. And at one point in the sermon, Vody said, when you read it, it sounds like these guys are looking back on what has already happened, as opposed to them looking forward to what it is that they were planning. So in a world where most people are playing solitaire, there are people off, you know, who are playing chess and, and they know how to move us emotionally around the board. But you're right. Everyone has been pulled, so to speak, to the left over the last 20 years on this issue. We're no longer in a time of, you know, oh, it's not uh, uh, it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve or hate the sin, uh, hate, love this, love the sin or hate the sin or tolerance. It's all affirmation. It's acceptance. It's promotion in every single organ of culture, in, in music, on television. I remember, Jason, when Scandal was was the thing that everybody watched, particularly everybody on black Twitter watched on, on Thursday nights. And I, I don't think there was a single episode where there wasn't some sort of gay sex scene or an allusion to a gay sex scene. All right. And, and you're talking about less than 10 percent of the population. But over it's like 40 percent of the roles and and it's to the point where now even people who who obviously don't agree with that there's almost an expectation when you see any content that has to do with married couples there's a part of you that feels like okay when's the same-sex couple coming when's the same-sex couple going to come on, on on the tv show or in this book and now it's not only to me as an adult it's okay there's there's a there's a new cartoon for three-year-olds they're talking about family. When is the, 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 the lesbian couple, when are the two zebra moms gonna show up and take the, the little boy to school? So, yeah, so yes, he, he's spot on. The, the, his analysis of their plan is 100% correct. And, and as I said, the reason that it's not fully revealed is because a large part of the society, and particularly in our community, still thinks um, the, the major fight is on race. They, they still think it's 1962, right? So as long as, as you know, they are focused on melanin, the people in, in the pride movement are saying, oh no, give them melanin, we'll take testosterone, right? We'll give them a few crumbs to make them think that they're making, oh look, uh, uh, somebody's gonna fight for reparations. Okay, Cori Bush. And, and the funny thing, Jason, is if, if Cori Bush actually was successful at getting reparations, and I, and I think if, if, if that happens, it should be a big juicy check because I know what's gonna come after that. Let's say it's $50,000 per, per adult and 25,000 for every black, um, you know, ADOS black person under the age of 20, under the age of 18. The next week in Congress, it will be the LGBTQIA2 plus PMAP uh, 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 bestiality uh, reparations check for all of the times all the people who could not pass on property to their to their to their lovers in the 1960s, all of the people who were discriminated against in healthcare, in housing, and education, and then and that check would be sixty thousand dollars per person who identifies as LGBTQ, and and thirty thousand for every person under the age of 18, and free gender transition surgeries, um, and and all the other nonsense because. The, the black leadership class has completely sold out the black masses. And that's why the NAACP spends more time on abortion and promoting the notion that men can get pregnant 
than they do on on uh, focusing on strengthening and edifying and reconstructing the black family. Delano, great job as always. Thank you so much. That was awesome. Terrific. Uh, go to blazetv.com slash fearless. Use the promo code fearless and you can save $10 on your yearly subscription. Hit the likes. If you're listening on Apple, give me that five-star review. I need 30 people writing a review about today's show. It's been spectacular. We're going to stick the landing with Steve Kim, the Korean Cosell. Next. All right, welcome back. Time for some Korean Cosell. Uh, Korean Cosell, LeBron James lost. He got swept out of the playoffs. I'm going to, I hate to be this honest. I was so frustrated at halftime. I turned the game off because I thought he was going to win. And (laughs) I'm just being transparent and honest. And so I turned the game off. I wake up this morning. LeBron has lost, and I'm I'm livid with myself and that I didn't get to enjoy the final half of that basketball game. But LeBron played terrific, scored 40 points, and then after the game intimated uh, that he might ponder retirement. Let's watch. I don't like to say it's a successful year because I don't play for anything besides winning championships at this point in my career, and um, you know I don't, I don't I don't get a kick out of making a conference appearance. I've done it a lot, and, <laughs> and it's not fun to me to not be able to be able to be a part of uh, you know getting to the finals, but. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens going forward. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I got a lot to think about, to be honest. I got a lot to think about, to be honest. And um, just for me personally, going going forward with the game of basketball, I got a lot to think about. Hmm. Uh, so that was LeBron James unsolicited throwing it out on the table that he might retire. He was asked follow-up questions later off the off the podium and said, yeah, he's thinking about maybe this could be it. Any chance, on a scale of 1 to 100, what do you think the chances are of LeBron retiring? I would still say closer to 3 and 4 than 8 and 9. I, look, there's a lot of emotions. And look, anytime a player is entering... What's a scale of 1 to 100? No, a 1 three, to 10. Four, 1 to 10. Oh. Oh, one to oh, you, ten. I'm I, sorry. I, I, let me apologize for not yeah. asking the question the way that you wanted. On a scale of one to ten, Steve, what's the chances of uh, LeBron? I, I, Steve is such a diva. I'm, I apologize, yeah. Steve, for well, not as, all, asking the question properly. Go ahead. Your, your apology is accepted, but don't ever let that happen again, Whitlock. But anyway, look. <laughs> I think obviously there there are some emotions, so I think it's relatively low. I'd say two and three. Uh, instead of an eight and nine, look, anytime you've played that long, Jason, I think the reality is every year could be his last year now. And I, I, I got the sense that he thought this series would be much more competitive. And to be fair, 
three of the four games were competitive. They were, but they did get swept. And he said something really interesting before that, though, Jason. I was actually watching some of the post-game uh, coverage. He got up there and said, well, I want to see next year what the management does with this team and blah, blah. I'm thinking, oh, my God. So you're saying that you're admitting you're a terrible GM and you should just let Rob Palenka actually do his job and you ought to stick your butt out of it because you're a terrible player personnel guy. That right there would be progress. But, Jason, two things come to mind as I watched a little bit of this game last night. That last shot, look, you said he played a great game. Jason, he played a great half. In the second half, his age started to show. Now, with that said, 40 points is 40 points. But, again, I say this about boxers all the time, the truly great ones that are elite, that find themselves in the twilight of their prime. It's not like their skills totally erode. But there is a physical erosion that no longer allows them to be great fighters three minutes of every round. And they have to kind of save their time and they have to, like, go out there and find a way to play ball control. But you saw what happened in that fourth quarter where he faded. But also that particular last play, Jason, that's the difference between him, Jordan, and maybe even Kobe. That last drive... He dribbled right into that double team, and Murray did a great job of timing his help defense, and he basically caused a tie-up, right? That's got to be a 2-3 durable pull-up. And, and that's where LeBron James's game, uh, of all the great things that he does, that's the one glitch in the matrix. He is not what I would call a proficient, creative, mid-range shooter, and it got him into trouble at the end of that game. Steve, I'm going to completely disagree with your take. What? I'm going to go 75% chance LeBron retires. Mm. 75% chance. I think as of right now, LeBron plans to retire for one year. He wants to sit out a year and enjoy his son's, what he thinks will be his son's, one college basketball season. And then he's going to rejoin the NBA when his when he thinks his son is going to uh, rejoin the NBA or join the NBA. All the it's no big deal retiring and coming out of retirement. All the great athletes do it. They you know flip flop on retirement all the time. I think LeBron James in his mind has made it up that look I've been playing basketball throughout all of my kids' years of development. I'm gonna take one year off, watch my boy play college basketball, help my youngest boy through his, I believe, sophomore or junior year of high school basketball, come back and play one more year with my son, and then go back into retirement and be there for his oldest boy to go through his senior year of high school basketball and wherever he plays college basketball, I think LeBron is committed to retirement. I, I, don't, I don't think he believes he can put together a team in L.A. during this offseason that, that can win a championship. I think he will dangle himself to, to take – this is a total manipulation move by LeBron. His son's not that good. He's not a one-and-done NBA player. He's probably not even an NBA player. But LeBron's going to dangle himself out there to some team next year. I'll come play with you if you draft my son. 
And if you have a team that can uh, put us in championship contention. And so his son's not going to be a big, big time talent. And so a good team later in the draft will be able to get him in the first round or whatever and put some other pieces around where LeBron thinks he can go steal another championship. And if that's the Golden State Warriors draft him and he goes and plays with a 36-year-old, 35-year-old Steph Curry, I I don't know, or whoever, the Denver Nuggets, whoever's hot at that time, that's what I think LeBron's game plan is. Okay, so now you're saying that Sugar Ray LaFarve James is going to take a hiatus. That that's a little bit of a game of semantics. Yes. Uh, Jordan Le- did it for two years. No, but that was yeah, but that was because he had an opportunity because Abe Poland said you're going to be a part owner, and they ripped that away. I, I don't think those two. No, things no. Are- Jordan set out of basketball for two years no, but- for gambling but- reasons or to pursue baseball or whatever. Okay, but the the, the when he stepped away from the game after the 1998 championship that was a retirement that then turned into a return because he got a business opportunity with a Poland. i don't think that's completely analogous again but if i'm an nba team if the price of having lebron for just one year and at the very tail end is to draft a player that may not actually be elite or worthy of a first round choice pass absolutely pass and i want to say this as a laker fan I hope LeBron just goes away. I want to go back to rooting for my purple and gold. They've been an important part of my sports fan kingdom or life for 30-plus years. I want them back. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to be dead honest. When they got swept up last night, I felt a great joy. And when LeBron said the word retirement, I said, oh, I hope so. Because I'm not going to be a Laker fan. And I'm not even one of these Kobe cultists who just absolutely hate LeBron. I just don't want LeBron on my franchise. I don't like the guy. I will give him his credit for his greatness. He's one of the best that's ever done it. It just doesn't feel right. And I, I and right now, though, here's what we got to do, Jason. We got to throw all our support to America's team, the Denver Nuggets. So right now, we are all Denver Nugget fans. Let's just say it what it is. I want you to stick with me here. I'm going to make one more little argument here that LeBron plans to retire. There's a reason he played 47 minutes and 56 seconds last night. He played all but four seconds. And he, he threw everything but the kitchen sink at the Denver Nuggets, scored 40 points. It, it's because, like, this, he, he approached that game like, well, this is the last time I'm going to play for a while. I'm going to lay it all on the line. And, and give you a great performance, and then I'm going to walk away for a single year and recharge my battery, and the last memory you have of me is scoring 40 points in the Western Conference Finals. A year from now, when he returns to the NBA, there will be some team that just lost in the Eastern or Western Conference Finals that will be sitting there like, Man, if we add LeBron James to our team as our third option, a, a, oh, a refreshed, Hold invigorated on. LeBron James, what? Jason, you really think LeBron, with that ego, is going to come back as a third banana? Look, even no, Fat El- no, was no, not- no, no, it won't be described to him as that way. Oh, boy. There, there no. will be some team out there 
Maybe it's Giannis and whoever. Maybe if Giannis is in Milwaukee and he'll have his Batman and Le- and and what they'll say, we're getting him for one year. He'll be our third guy, second option, whatever. He, he, but LeBron at that age, at 40, oh, I'm doing you a favor, and yes. And so LeBron can work it out and play it up in his mind anyway, and he's going to be there to nurture his son. There w- the Milwaukee Bucks have Giannis's brother on their roster. Giannis's brother is a G League player. He's been on the roster for years. If you don't think someone will carry LeBron James's son to have LeBron James come and play Oh. 60 regular season games oh. for them, average 22 points a game, and then at playoff time, Look, uh, play I really agree. hard and at a high level? There is some NBA team that'll go for it. I'm just saying if I was the owner of GM, I'd be like, pass. That, that's a novelty act. But let me just go back to my original point of you thinking. Oh, oh for one second. You're going to pass on LeBron James's farewell tour. It's going to fill up your arena, make you the big draw everywhere you go. You're turning down These guys, they just care about business. If I'm actually an elite team, I'm not just – and I feel, you know, we can win this without LeBron. I'm not disrupting my chemistry. Okay, that's just me, though. Maybe I'm being naive, but let me just go back to my original point. LeBron James is an alpha. He's a number one. Okay, even – even an old senile Frank Sinatra who was forgetting his lyrics. He's like, start spreading the news. I'm going to do it my way in New York. It didn't matter what version of Sinatra it was. He was not a supporting act. He was the headlining act. He was the biggest name on the marquee. He's the guy that no matter what he did at the end, you came to see him. Jay, he is never going to be the second or third option. It does not. I'm just telling you because he still could, by the way, because on certain nights, he is still as good as anyone in the league. Even now, I will admit that. I agree. I you think the Cleveland Cavaliers and Dan Gilbert wouldn't take well, might, the LeBron Bronny package? They might because there is a geographical and there is a historic aspect to this. There's some nostalgia. That I get with You Cleveland. think the LA Clippers wouldn't take the yeah. LeBron James Bronny package? Eh, maybe. I look, I just want LeBron out of the league. I want him out of LA. Good grief. <laughs> That's the way I am. I'm, yeah, I'm not changing. I'm the telling you, I'm right. You'll be repeating my theory tonight in L.A. to all your friends. You and Mario Lopez, and you'll act like you won't give me any credit. You'll be repeating. You, you and wow. J.B. will be talking about it. You won't give me any credit. Me, me and my friends talk about a lot of things. NBA basketball really is not, unless it's about the greatness of Michael Jeffrey Jordan, I don't really talk that much about the NBA. Now that the Lakers are gone, and, I, and by the way, the media softballing of LeBron is sickening. The guy just, the, some of the questions, I'm like, do you people have any guts to ask any hard questions? I just, it's nauseating. I'm just glad he's out of the playoffs. Yeah, let, me, let, me, let me end on this note. Let me end on this note. I know not to call you on June 16th, the night What's of, that? because that's a big night on your calendar. Pride night, L.A. Dodgers, you and the sisters of perpetual indulgence. Uh, That's a big night uh, for you. So uh, I've marked it on my calendar not to bother you. You'll be at the Dodgers game June 16th. All I know is this. Vince Scully and Tommy Lasorda are rolling over in their graves. Now, first of all, 
this is a true story, and I think I told you this. The last time I was invited to a ball game, the man that you mentioned, I don't want to be accused of name dropping, but the guy I do the three knockdown rule, Mario Lopez, happens to be a big Dodger fan, even though he's from San Diego. Can't figure that one out, right? He said, hey, Kim, you, you want to go to the ball game? We got a big uh, suite and blah, blah, blah. And I said, no. He goes, why not? Easy. Hard knocks is on. I got to watch Dan Campbell. So that's exactly where Dodger baseball <laughs> stands on the hierarchy of the Kimster when it comes to entertainment options. This, I just, again, I, I don't want to get our show demonetized or banned. I, it's not for me. I, I'm surprised that they're giving in like this, but I don't think they have any choice at this point. Thank you, Steve. Uh, we'll play tomorrow, and we'll see you tomorrow.